Hello, I'm Dan Mullins. Welcome to My Camino, the podcast, a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago, a series of ancient pilgrimages across Europe, culminating at the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James in the cathedral at the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela. Those who walk are considered pilgrims, and more often than not, they consider themselves pilgrims in life. There's something about the long-distance walk. An old saying says hiking is a bit like life. The journey only requires you to put one foot in front of the other, again and again and again. And if you allow yourself the opportunity to be present throughout the entirety of the trek, you will witness beauty every step of the way not just at the summit. Well, my guest this week has walked five Caminos and is preparing to head off on his sixth. Darren Combrink is on the line from Cape Town, South Africa. Welcome, Pilgrim. Good day. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. As I said, you're about to head off on your sixth Camino, and it's for a very good cause, and we'll get to that in a short while. But firstly, Darren, tell us about your first five Caminos. Okay, well, um, I was one of those guys that works in a big corporate company, and my life was IT, and I I was stationed in a cubicle in an office, had about 25 people reporting to me, and by the end of 2012, I got to the stage after about 18 years, I had enough of living that life, of going to work and coming home and going to work and coming home, that's typical rat race, as they call it. Yeah. And um, the company that I worked for um, opened up uh, voluntary retrenchments for staff, and I was one of those that decided to take it. And while I was spending time at the office winding up things, um, one of my colleagues said to me, well, seeing as you're leaving this place and you don't have a job, why don't you just go walk the Camino? I mean, you've got the time. And I sort of thought, well, heck, I'm definitely not a hiker and I'm not a big walker. But why they, Why not? Let's give this a bash. So I thought, well, you know, it's an opportunity to go and find out what I'd really like to do after working in a corporate company. So I left I left the corporate company at the end of March 2013, and I was literally on the Camino in St. jean Peter Port on the 2nd of May, walking up those nine kilometers to Orison. And it was, it was then that I realized that I thought, in some ways, I thought I bit off more than I could chew. Because I thought to myself, what on earth am I doing here? <laughs> but I did that Camino. It, it took me a long time to do that Camino because all the old injuries from the past came back from my running days. But that Camino was a defining moment in my life. I met the most amazing people on that route. Uh, I had alone time. Believe it or not, you can get alone time on Camino Frances, even, even these days. And... For me, it was all about, you know, people say, oh, you need to go and find yourself. But it wasn't so much about finding myself. It was more about just starting a new journey. So it was ending off one and starting another. And the type of people that I met along the route walked into my life for a reason. It was not, it was literally meant to be. The universe threw interesting things at me on that Camino. And when I got back to South Africa after walking Camino Frances, I started a small tourist company and I worked as a tourist guide for about two years. And the reason why I did that was because it allowed me to be out in nature and to actually work 
within my own city for once in my life. Um, it's quite amazing when you live in a city, you may not know what goes on in that city because you just take the same routes every day. But when you become a tourist guide and you start showing people your city, you learn a lot more about your city than what you thought you knew. Yeah. And for me, it was a cathartic experience because from working in big corporates to suddenly driving around in a minivan with four to six people in it and showing them our beautiful country was a completely different world for me. And it was, it's what I needed at that time. Um, I had no intention of remaining um, in that line of work, but it was just a really good thing to do for those two years. And then after that, I met my current business partner um, on Twitter because I was busy marketing my, um, my business. And we met on Twitter and uh, he was working for a travel agency in social media and um, we got together and we did a small project together and we suddenly realized, hey, we work quite well together. So we started Digital Shelf, which is a, a little digital agency, um, a content creation agency. Um, I spend most of my time online on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And he does all the design work and the photography and videos. And... I said to him when we started the business in the, at the beginning of uh, 2016, I said, by the way, in, in about five months, I'm going to hit the road and go walk a Camino. And he sort of looked at me and said, uh, it's the first year of our business and you're leaving for two months. I said, yes, you'll get used to that. I do these things. So <laughs> that ended up being Camino number two. Um, I, I did the Camino Portuguese coastal from Porto to Santiago. And I did. It was the first Camino I didn't do alone. Uh, I walked it with a, with a good friend, Mimi, from Canada, who I met on Camino Frances. Um, when I put my Facebook status out that I was going to walk the Camino Portuguese, she was the first one to reply and say, "I'm coming with." So that ended my alone Camino. <laughs> and when we got to Santiago, we parted ways. She walked to Finisterre, and I went and walked the Camino English, number three. So for me, Camino Portuguese and Camino English were more fun Caminos, more relaxing type of Caminos. There wasn't really a huge purpose in walking it, more just getting out of nature and just enjoying people's company. And for, for me, that was quite, it was quite nice to do a Camino where there wasn't this huge purpose. And it, I just felt free walking that Camino. It, to me, it was more like a holiday, those two Caminos. Then last year came the two challenging Caminos. Um, I walked the San Salvador from Leon to Oviedo, the four valleys, and I walked the Primitiva from Oviedo to Santiago. The The issue with that was I wanted to be able to push myself and see whether I could handle a longer Camino or a Camino where I, I need to actually have some kind of cardio training and mountain training. And the Salvador very quickly puts you into, into that category because there's a lot of ups and downs in those valleys. Um, for me, the San Salvador was the most beautiful Camino I have walked because of the scenery. Going into the Asturias region um, to Oviedo was just, it was mind-blowing. And yes, it was the most beautiful Camino and I met Spanish people. There's not, there's not a lot of English people on the Camino. So if you are walking the San Salvador, make sure you have a little bit of Spanish knowledge and a bit of... Um, a good Google Translate app on your phone because <laughs> that helped me quite a bit because my, I'm, I'm very good at ordering food in Spanish and that's where it stops. So, yes, that, that Camino 
what I loved about the end of that Camino is you go into the cathedral in, in Oviedo and um, you get in for free because you've walked the Salvador. And I was fortunate that uh, there was a priest there who actually stamped my, my, my final stamp coming into Oviedo and issued me the Salvador Arena certificate. So it's a Camino that I'll never forget. It's, it's, it's a Camino I would go and do again. So, yeah, I highly recommend it if you, if you can handle a few mountains and some hill work. There's no scrambling involved, so it's not like you, you need to be a mountain climber to do it. I then got onto the Primitivo. And for me, the Primitivo was my spiritual Camino, literally. I, I think I felt every single pain that you could feel in your body, <laughs> uh, from sore feet to the odd blister, but... You know, when you're walking a spiritual Camino, in, well, in my mind, when I'm in that spiritual zone, for some unknown reason, there is extreme happiness and extreme pain all happening in one big moment, as I would call it. And for me, it was it's not the hardest Camino. The Salvador is definitely a lot more difficult than the Primitivo. But the Primitivo for me was just long because of what I was experiencing. And I think when you go through some sort of a spiritual reawakening or something happens everything's heightened and i was walking up the side of the hospitalis route and i believe the universe spoke to me and said you you need to get out there into your country and help children in need and i sort of thought oh my gosh that's never going to happen in my life <laughs> the first thing that went through my mind was why on earth would i be doing that i'm never going to have children it's not something that i've ever considered <laughs> So hang on, hang on a second. So the universe spoke to you, just came to you yes. out of the blue, and you said... Out of the blue. You said, why on earth, come on, that's never going to happen, and kept walking. I was just, yes, and I, but, but at the same time, it was a, a very strong presence. It was not just like I'm walking and this little things popped into my mind. It was for quite a while. I must have walked for about five kilometers. It just didn't stop. And I was walking on the side of the hospitalist route coming up from, from Polar, and they were all, I was walking in a forest with all these little streams and rivers and I was alone. There was nobody around me. So I was having, I was having quite an experience walking through them. And I, physically I could not, walking up that hill, physically it felt like nothing. It was very strange. It felt like I had not walked a hill at all. But the experience of what I was being spoken to was quite something. So, you know, whether you're, whether you're a Christian person or whether you're a spiritual person, I just say the universe spoke to me because that's how I see it. Um, some people say God spoke to them. It's, for me, it was that it was that real. It's not something that I was making up in my head. It was, yeah. it was really, a really strong experience that I actually went through that brought me to tears uh, on a few occasions during that five-kilometer stretch that I walked. How extraordinary. And, you know, when it's real, it's real, even though you want to deny it. But um, so, yeah, I left it at that and, you know, got back to um, when I got to, to San Diego, I, um, I worked at the program office for two weeks. Um, I am the vice chairman of the confraternity of St. James, South Africa. So I was invited to work at the program office for two weeks, which was an incredible experience. I think the the biggest thing for me is actually for once being on the other side of the, the desk teaches you quite a bit about 
what type of pilgrims coming in. I mean, you literally get all types from the youngest of the young to the oldest of the oldest. And the biggest thing for me was there was a lady that came in from Holland. She, she produced two pilgrim passports, one from Holland to St. John Peter Port and the second one from St. John Peter Port to Santiago. And she had walked 2,200 kilometers. And I said to her, could you put your back- backpack down? And she didn't want to. And I said, you just need to relax for a bit. And I gave her some water and she literally broke down as she put her backpack down. And with that, it started a bit of a chain reaction in the program office amongst us volunteers. We were all in tears for, on her behalf because it was quite a moving experience. Fortunately, the Dutch confraternity um, have a room upstairs and they came down to, to chat to her and help her. And I think the hardest part was actually writing her distance certificate because we kept on drop, dropping tears onto the distance certificate. <laughs> How fantastic. I, I think I must have rewritten her distance certificate three times. So we eventually we were laughing so much about that. It was actually we were crying tears of laughter for her, on her part. And she just came back down after talking to the Dutch confraternity and thanked us. And it's, you know, when you're serving like that, it just, it's mind-blowing. And you just realize that, you know, you, you go onto a Camino and things happen, real things happen to you. You know, a lot of people will speak about it and say they had a good experience. They don't always talk about their personal things. But for me, it was just, just being there in the moment with people. You experience so many different things on the Camino. And this year is a bit of a different year because I, I actually got ill in January. I got chickenpox, believe it or not, as an adult. My luck of flying in airplanes with kids in around December, mm. I managed to get that. And of course, sitting at home where you cannot do too much or go out, you suddenly start thinking about things. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do this year? I'm, I have flights booked for Spain. And I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll work at the pilgrim office again. And then I thought, no, 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 no. Then this thing kept on hitting me on the head again. Bang, bang, bang. What are you doing for children? What are you doing for children? I'm going, no, nothing, nothing at all. And then, yeah, I, I was I was online and, you know, one of my, my clients is the South African Bone Marrow Registry. We help get the word out there. And I sent, the, I sent the management an email and I said, well, what do you think if I walk the Camino del Norte from Irun to Santiago, 825Ks for the next child patient in need. And they replied to my email within a few minutes and said, of course, <laughs> we always, we always in need of help because in South Africa, one out of 600 children um, are diagnosed with, with uh, cancer of which the most common in kids is leukemia. And the biggest challenge is finding a donor of the 79 patients referred to the South African Bone Marrow Registry in 2017, only 19 had adequate funds for donor searches. And, you know, people think, okay, well, you know, you've got your medical plan and that, that can cover you, but that's not always the case. The medical plans are there to cover your hospital stays and the procedures and everything. But when yeah. it comes to going out of the country and finding that donor, I mean, you could be, they could be forexing stem cells to South Africa from other parts of the world. That all costs money. It's not like you just sending a parcel. It's medical. It's medical transport. There is going, digging up and trying to find donors in various countries. It's, 
as much as the South African binary registry people do a preliminary search amongst their their databases and the, and the various countries they're linked to, it goes way beyond that. So there are all these little hidden costs that people don't realize, you know, what, what it's all about. So I'm raising funds for that next child patient in need. And at the moment, we don't have one right now. But we could have a child by the time I start walking. So, so and, when you say you could have a child, so you would raise funds directly to pay for the yes. research for that particular child. And when you said that, 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 that very few can afford the search, what do you mean by the search? It's to find that donor. You see, the thing is you can what – what, what actually happens is you will, you will obviously get your family involved first to see if there could be a suitable match for stem cell transplants. If not, you've got to go out of your family. So you need to look for an unrelated donor, and that is where the catch comes in. Is to try and find to, to try and find a stem cell match outside of your family, and it's it, that is where the issue comes in, and that's where the where the costs where the costs are involved is to try and find that donor. Does that donor ha- not, has ha- have they had to register that they are willing to donate? Yes. Well, you see, that's the whole thing. You've got yeah. you've got various donors all, all over the world who are on the various registries. And right. it's then what actually happens is if this person needs stem cells, they'll put it out to all the registries. Then the registries have to go out there and see if they can find more donors. So you, we constantly have more and more donors coming on board. But obviously there's strict criteria if you are going to be a donor, just like when you do blood, when you give blood. It's in the same kind of, mm. you know, you have various criteria. You can't be ill or you can't have this condition, et cetera, et cetera. So it limits the amount of donors out there. So, you know, that, that's where the issue comes in. And often, you know, these, these, these kids get leukemia and they, they, they don't have a cure. So a lot of the kids die. And it's, very, it's a very, very sad thing. Yeah, at the moment, you know, I've got a platform where I'm raising the funds. So, so, when, they, so when the South African Bone Marrow Registry receives the money from my platform that I'm, that I'm using to, to, to get donations, they know that it's coming from me for the hashtag walk for life, walking for life. So what actually happens is um, if that child comes up while I'm walking, it'll then go to that child. Alternatively, if that does not happen, the next child patient to need that, that money will be contributed towards that child's search for a donor. Okay, so how can my listeners help? Okay, so the best thing to do is to go onto my business Facebook page because that's the easiest place to find it. Yeah. Let's go to Digital Shelf SA. So if you just type in the at sign, at Digital Shelf SA, you will come across my Facebook page and in there you'll find the links to, to donate. So you'll see various posts on, um, on the Facebook page and the link is there to, to donate. And there's also a site, isn't there? Backabuddy.co.za. And and, and I will give my listeners the, uh, the website addresses at the end of the podcast and they'll also be in the podcast okay, notes as well and we'll get a hyperlink as well so that if anybody wants to donate they can okay. just click directly on the on the on the notes clearly Perfect. talking to you Darren it's it's yes. obvious that the Camino has had an extraordinary impact on your life how, how would That's you true. describe that impact if you were telling your story to a friend okay well in my case, it's changed my life completely because the Camino has kind of become my life. Um, working um, since 2014, I've been the vice chairman of the Confraternity of St. James, South Africa. 
And I have devoted so much of my time to helping other pilgrims. And it's almost like you relive your Camino every time you talk to a new pilgrim. And, you know, for, for me, I'm sitting in a situation where, like, there's a guy that's contacted me now. He lost his wife two weeks ago and he wants to go walk the Camino. So I just literally dropped everything last night and said, no problem. I'll meet with you on Thursday and I will plan his entire Camino for him. And I don't mean plan stages. I mean, just give him everything he needs so that he can literally just follow my steps, register, get his Schengen visa, do everything he needs to do without him having to think. Wow. So the Camino turns, has turned my life around to where I'm actually helping others. So it's not always about like, in this case, I'm, yes, I'm trying to help children, but all of a sudden people are walking into my life that need me to help them. Because for me, if he can go on the Camino and actually find some kind of peace, then my job's done. Yeah. So it's, and, and when you've gone through a traumatic experience, the ability to actually think because of your nerve endings at that point, you, you can't do that. You need somebody to just steer you. So that is what we do. We, we're always helping problems. We run quite a few, we've run two workshops already this year um, in Cape Town. So we actually do backpack packing and we go through all the protocols and kit lists and you name it. We, we discuss the entire thing, obviously from a South African perspective, because we have various rules and regulations for um, entering a Schengen state. So we need visas and we have to get letters uh, sent out to our members to state that you can waiver the accommodation when you get a, a Schengen visa. So there's like a whole lot of things we have to do in this country to sort of empower the people to go and walk the Camino. It's not as simple as just get on a plane and produce your passport. And yeah, the Camino, the Camino has completely changed my life. And every single Camino that I've done, different, I've experienced different things and different people. And from having my first Camino, which was like the Camino, which changed my life, to the second and the third Camino, which was more of a relaxed party type Camino. And then last year, suddenly the spiritual Camino again. It's 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 come full circle. Yeah. Um, to be honest, to be honest, I'm extremely nervous to walk 825 kilometers again. Um, it sounds weird coming from a guy that's walked five Caminos, but people seem to think, oh, well, you've walked so many Caminos, you just get on the road and go. Well, no, actually, that's not the case. Um, you know, I think I think people sort of take it for granted because you've done so many. But all my other Caminos post-Camino Frances have been shorter Caminos. I've not done more than 500 kilometers at, at each visit in total. So, you know, if I did Portuguese and English, I, don't, I didn't get to 500. And Salvador and Primitivo, that didn't get me to 500 kilometers either. So I've always sort of stayed below 500 kilometers since Camino Frances. Now I'm doing a big one again. And this is like five years down the line. I'm quite a bit older too. So... You know, from that perspective, there are those nerves that are, okay, how on earth am I going to get past the four? This is, this is my own psychological thing that I go through. Is how on earth do I get past the 400-kilometer mark? Because it's that halfway mark, which I battled on Camino Francais. So I have to, in my head, I have to get beyond that. Sure. You know, people don't realize that as even yeah. as seasoned pilgrims still have struggles. You still get the sore foot and you still get, you know, the, 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 the lower back pain. <laughs> Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. You're still doing a pilgrimage. It's still a camino. You know. That's it. Well, that's so, right. Even the fittest pilgrim gets a bad back or a bad knee, and and no matter how much correct. preparation you have done, nothing quite prepares you for the 
the surprises that that occur and 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 what you don't the the unexpected if you like but I, I wanted to ask you what's the most important thing about being a pilgrim be humble right be humble because when you when you walk into the camino space as i call it you are you are now on your own, you're out there, and there's hospitaleros out there that are going to serve you and help you. Just be humble. You're not going to have your creature comforts on the Camino unless you're doing a Camino tour or booking in high-end accommodation. But if you are a person who's going to be a real pilgrim, just be humble. What's, it's very important. It is important. And I think it's what's, what, what worries me is... I have seen this on the Camino a few times where people tend to bring their negative attitudes from home and project it onto people who are just trying to help. And I think it's, I think it's really bad. And you, you need to just calm down when you're on the Camino because there is, I'm not talking about all the routes now. If I talk about Camino Frances and you on Camino Frances for the first time, there's no reason to worry about anything. The support structures on Camino Frances are amazing. You have more than enough places to stay and eat within five kilometer radiuses, except for parts of the Meseta. But in general, there is no issue. So you you have no reason to worry about anything. And I'll just mention this is if you if you're really stuck in a town and you can't find a place to stay, rock up at the police station. They'll help you. People help you in Spain. Yeah. So you, you know, we all come from different parts of the world and you know, and some countries, people can, you know, you, you live in a world where there's quite a lot of aggression and everything, but don't take it with you on the Camino. Go with an open heart. And, you know, not just hospitaleros, but if I, if I look at the, the convents that I stayed in, the monasteries, when the nuns put us to bed at night and everything, if they like literally are serving you as a pilgrim. So just have the respect for them, you know, and, and treat them well and be kind. Because just saying thank you is a, is a major thing to, to people who are, who are serving and not getting paid for it, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And humble is a very good answer. What is the most important thing about being a pilgrim? Now, my next question is, as a pilgrim, what surprises you about the Camino de Santiago? I think the what surprises me... Um, I think the safety aspect surprises me quite a bit coming from a country like I do. Um, South Africa is not the safest country in the world, but you can still travel here if you know where to go and, and you can still enjoy yourself. It's not a problem. But I come from a, a country where there's quite a lot of crime. So my first surprise when I got into Spain and walked the Camino is how safe I felt. Yeah. I found that the, the Camino is a really safe place to, to walk. And when I first did the Camino Frances, everybody said to me, be careful of the gypsies when you walk into Pamplona. Well, I sort of walked through that and I thought, okay, well, that was nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I come from a different world. You know? I, I suppose if you, if you come from Europe or you come from Holland where crime doesn't really happen or whatever, you know, I think it's a difference for those people. It's coming from where I come from, um, I'm a person that tends to look over his shoulder. So I suddenly realized, well, you know, it's not that bad in Spain. So that was one of the surprises when I first walked the Camino. And I think the other, the other thing is the infrastructure. You just cannot believe what the biggest surprise to me is how all these albergues run and the network. You know, in my first year, I thought, 
how did they do this? You know, I've obviously come to learn over the years what it's all about and, you know, the various different types of alburgies that you get and, and how it works. So, yes, I've, I've learned a lot. That's, it's not a surprise anymore. But I think when I talk to new pilgrims, the kind of questions that I get are very interesting when, when people say, so, so where am I going to be staying? And will this place be okay? Will it have a decent shower or whatever? I'm like, well, depends what alburgie you go into, you know. <laughs> You can't really I mean, answer, you those, can't answer that question. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you get that kind of like, yeah, nothing really surprises me on the Camino anymore. I mean, that's, you know, those were the initial surprises, but I wouldn't say anything surprises me now. I kind of, I kind of go with the flow. Yeah. And I think it's quite hard for the new pilgrims. You know, I don't mind a hostile environment where I'm staying with 10 other pilgrims. It doesn't bug me like it would bug some other people. You know, um, for me, that's okay because I've done it quite a few times now. So I don't, I don't feel that it's an issue. You know, for people who perhaps went to boarding school and had to live with a whole lot of kids when they were younger, maybe don't want to do that anymore. You know. Yeah, I think but, it's, I think uh, it's part of the appeal. To be completely honest. Oh yes, no, I love it. But, yeah. Um, and you know what I really like as well um, on the Camino is if if I'm tired of old boogies for whatever reason, or the pilgrim family's moved on and. You suddenly feel you want to be alone. You can easily book in anyway. You know, it's yeah. not a problem. No, that's exactly right. So, so, so you're heading off June, July to walk, uh, uh, as we've said, another Camino to raise money and awareness for children suffering leukemia. You said one in six hundred South African children under the age of sixteen will be diagnosed with cancer, which that's, is extraordinary in right. itself. The most common form yeah. being leukemia, and it, I suspect it's a similar figure across the world. You work in yes. media. What do you hope your headline will be on your return? My headline on my return? Come on, give me the headline, and only the headline. Okay. Uh, Hashtag walking for life reaches target. Fantastic. Now, how do you sum up the appeal of walking the Camino de Santiago? Because, as we've said before, it's not for everyone. So, do you ever meet someone and think, uh, while you're walking, I don't know if this is really working for you? And should, and the second part of the question, Darren, is should someone at home be thinking, it'll be fine, I'll be laughing, but maybe it won't be for them? That's correct. It isn't for everyone. I think the, the, the appeal of the Camino is, it appeals to a person who, well, A, may want to escape their normal busy schedules and lives and take some real time out. Um, the appeal of it is if you're a person that wants to go offline, um, you can do that on the Camino, especially Camino Francais. Um, you, you don't have to be online anymore. So you can have a, a techno cleanse, as I call it. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can actually switch off. So there is a huge appeal in that way. Okay, not everybody does that. But also, if you want to be that person who wants to post and do your blog and everything, it's also a time to reflect on your Camino day and you can actually write your blog or whatever and post it if that's what you want to do. So there is an appeal in terms of just removing yourself from your normal civilization. I think that's 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 the biggest appeal. It allows you to just earth yourself other than doing the standard, typical holiday of stay in a hotel, yeah. go swim in the ocean, have fun. You know, yeah. it's, it's a very different kind of trip, you know. Yeah, that's right. And so, it's also a wake-up call, isn't it, to think we can survive with so little. 
just a few things on our that, back. That as well. Yeah. It's, yeah, you, it's, you literally, it's, it's a tortoise shell. You're living with a tortoise shell on your back. That's how I see it. Yeah. So your little house is on your back and off you go. And you, and you realize that you can actually survive pretty well with next to nothing. And I think that is, that is one of the appeals. Um, I think the, the, the most difficult thing about, I know the, the, the Camino is a huge appeal, but to, it, to turn the whole thing around is coming home can be quite a, um, quite an adjustment. Yeah. Um, I found that after Camino Frances, even though I, I had direction and I realized what I was going to do, I, I really battled for a good month after arriving back after Camino Frances. And what I do now, I've changed it around a bit. When I do a Camino now, I take two weeks holiday after the Camino, normal kind of holiday. So I will travel in parts of Europe and actually visit as a tourist into those, even in Spain as well. I'll go, like last year after my Camino, I went to uh, Leon and Pamplona as a tourist after the Camino. And that was kind of fun. And then went to San Sebastian and San John de Luz. So I believe you need to unwind from the Camino. It's kind of weird when I say that, but it's almost like not really unwind. It's like up yourself back into normal civilization because you can come off the Camino in San Diego, get on a plane and come home and suddenly, oh my gosh, two days ago I was on the Camino. Now I'm at home and I'm back at work. What was that? Yes, th- I it's, think that's very important. Re-entry is, 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 is very important and, and you need to find a way to deal with that. And that's why I prefer to take a little bit of a holiday after the Camino, if you can obviously get the time to do that. Even if it's just a few days, you know, go down to Musha and spend some time there, you know, go and, you know, go and do those types of things. You know, give yourself a bit of time because the worst part um, of the Camino to me, the worst part was um, on Camino Frances, I arrived at the cathedral, I've got my Compostela and I sat there in the square looking at this church and thinking, now what? <laughs> and that, and it's hard because yeah, you've hard. been walking yeah. for how many days and suddenly it's not there. And I'm very conscious of that doing the, the Del Norte this year as well. I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm going to be on the road for 36 days. It's a, it's, it's a long time and it becomes a habit. You know, after 17 days, the Camino becomes a habit. So if you're walking, you know, if you're walking the shorter routes and you're doing a two-week route, it's not quite a habit yet. But when you when you start going over 20 days on a Camino, the habit of the Camino kicks in. And that's what you do every day. And suddenly it stops. What then? So what I've decided to do this year is when I get into San Diego on the 24th of July, lucky me, I get to enjoy St. James Day festivities there for once in my life. Never done that, so it's going to be quite exciting. They're amazing, yeah. Yeah, and then two days later, I've decided, if the body allows, I'm going to walk to Finisterre and Musha. Just to, just to see how I feel after, after the long Camino, because I know that happened when I did Frances, and now I actually have the time. So I'm thinking of doing... I've been to Musha and Finisterre a few times, but always by bus or on a tour. But I've never walked it. So that is something I'm considering doing after I've done the Camino del Norte. And so, it's such yeah. a special Camino yeah. as well, this this next one for you. It's just going to Definitely. be amazing. And I really look forward to following it. I just wanted to ask one question, one last question. Yeah. 
Yes. Is there anything sure. else that you would like to add to your story on this podcast? Um, the only thing I would, would want to add is if you think you can't do it, you actually can. <laughs> Sounds weird. But I never thought I could do an 800-kilometer Camino in 2013, but I did it. And I, I'm an ex-couch potato. <laughs> X, note X. I train quite a bit now. But it doesn't really matter what condition you're in physically. Get on that road and walk. You can do it. You can do it. If you put your mind to it, it's all in the mind. Yeah, you can do it. That's exactly right. You can. Hey, Darren, I've yeah. thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. I just looked at the clock and realized we've been talking for 38 minutes, and I thought, well, that can't be right. Something <laughs> that has just gone like that. Look, I wish you all the best. That's on the problem with the Camino. You just talk, talk, talk. I know, I know, and I'm, I'm really bad at it too. Uh, look, I wish you all the best on the Camino and your journey to make a difference to the lives of children suffering from cancer. It's a very important journey on both the Camino and in life. So thank you very, very much for your time. Good luck and buen camino. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate your time. Darren Combrick there, about to head off on his sixth Camino, raising money this time for children's cancer research. And you can donate via a South African website, backabuddy.co.za forward slash walking for life. And you can follow Darren's journey via his Facebook page, Digital Shelf SA. Digital Shelf SA. I go back to the old saying, hiking is a bit like life. The journey only requires you to put one foot in front of the other again and again and again. And if you allow yourself the opportunity to be present throughout the entirety of the trek, you will witness beauty every step of the way, not just at the summit. I'm Dan Mullins, and I'll be back next week with another podcast, Tuesday evening in Australia, Tuesday morning in the Northern Hemisphere. Until then, buen camino.